Well, I'm back (laughs) after a long and rather wonderful break over the summer. I am back with stories within us. So over the past few months, I took a break, not only from the podcast, but from the world. I stepped back from social media and a lot from the news because I was having a bit of a difficult time functioning while taking in all that was going on in the world every day. It was a lot. So this return to the podcast is both incredibly fulfilling and incredibly challenging. It's fulfilling because I get to speak with incredible individuals and share their stories with you. And I love that process from the beginning, from even just beginning to research the people before I even reach out to them all the way to the end. I think it's the artist in me that loves the creative process. I even love the editing process of watching how our conversations that seem to be all over the place come together. Usually they come together into a cohesive episode. The challenging part of it is that I have to be connected and it takes time, but I think more pressing, it takes mental capacity. And so I did a deep dive into what was important for me for the season. What was I willing or even capable of submerging myself in? And the answer that came to me was not one I expected. I was not planning on it, (laughs) but it came very loudly and very clearly. And it was this, our kids. Talk about our kids. So as a parent, As a mother, this is where my head is now. I'm looking at the future of our province. I'm looking at the future of our country. And it always goes back to what does this mean for the next generation? Or at least that's where my mental space goes. What does it mean for the kids? What does it mean for their kids? So we begin the season with someone who, when I recorded this episode with her, was traveling across Canada, advocating for a more inclusive future for our kids. Anna Murphy. Anna was so gracious to speak with me in between meetings and then having to catch a 5 a.m. train to Toronto the next morning. So I was honored she took the time to share with all of us her story and the work that she's doing. So I followed Anna on social media for a while now, but I first met her face-to-face a little over a year ago when we were doing work on Mayor Gondek's campaign. Anna is such a warm, kind person who is both gentle, yet she's unapologetically fierce, as you will see in today's conversation. Anna Murphy, she, her, is a political-minded powerhouse for 2S LGBTQIA+, and women's issues in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and beyond. She is vice chair of the Gender Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion Subcommittee of the City of Calgary's Social Wellbeing Advisory Committee and serves on several other committees, including Calgary Stampede, as a University of Calgary Senator, and on the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs 2S LGBTQ Plus Advisory Council. Anna recently spoke at TELUS Spark Science Center on Transcending Transgender. Here, Anna pledged to support transgender and gender diverse kids and youth 
Her article in CBC News, Pride is More Than a Parade and Rainbow Crosswalks, We Need Action and Allyship, is a call to action for allies to step up and support gender-diverse kids, youth, and adults in meaningful ways. Today's episode does have discussion of suicide and self-harm, so if this is an episode you need to skip, please do so. There are also resources for mental health assistance in Alberta and in Canada in today's show notes. So if that is something that you're feeling like you need or you're interested, I encourage you to please take a look and reach out. So let's dive into today's conversation with Anna Murphy on nurturing our gender diverse kids. Welcome, Anna. Thank you so much for being a part of Stories Within Us. I am so excited to speak with you today. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for the opportunity to connect, to have a conversation, and hopefully, ultimately, inspire community building. Before we dive in, you were talking to me. You are on the road. I feel so privileged to be talking to you right now. Can you share with the listeners, where are you and what are you doing? Yeah, so we are connecting while I am in Ottawa and have been here for the last few days attending a parliamentary reception as part of my role with the Center for Israel Jewish Affairs, 2S LGBTQ IA plus national advisory. So I sit as the uh, one of the representatives for Southern Alberta and, and Calgary. And so in addition to attending that uh, reception, have had meetings on the Hill, had incredible hospitality shown to me by uh, the member of parliament for Calgary Centre, Greg McLean, had uh, great conversations with uh, Aunt Adam Van Coverden, Liberal MP, who has been very involved in equity, diversity, inclusion conversations, and just really, again, having those conversations about how do we build community, how do we foster spaces that are safe and affirming from coast to coast to coast for all 2SLGBTQIA plus individuals, but especially for transgender, gender diverse, two-spirit and non-binary individuals. And it was a very timely opportunity to be in Ottawa, given the recent announcement of Canada's first ever federal action plan with $100 million in funding. And so, yeah, have been having incredible conversations and am very thankful to all those who have made this a remarkable first visit to our nation's capital and the heart of Canadian democracy. Yeah, it's been an incredible time. I head back to Toronto for a few days, very early tomorrow morning, and then we'll be back where my heart is and where I'm fiercely passionate to call home, otherwise known as Calgary. So I'm looking very forward to being back home, but yes, I'm very honored to have had the opportunity I feel like right now you have the zoomed out lens. You're really looking at gender issues from a national perspective. And I look forward to hearing your perspective on that in this conversation and also to zooming in a little and looking at even within our homes, within our schools, within the city of Calgary, within Alberta. Anna, can you tell us a little bit of your journey? So how did you end up 
in Ottawa. I don't know how I ended up here, but I feel very fortunate and privileged and honored and humbled and any other of the words that, you know, most folks would say that get the opportunity to be in any position like this, or hopefully that they would say when they get the opportunity. And part of the reason why I don't know how I got here is because my story is really no more remarkable than anyone else's. I grew up in rural Alberta. My roots run very deep. Grew up to with a father who was a semi-professional team roper and involved in oil and gas. and very much struggled as a young individual with my identity, obviously growing up in rural Alberta. At that time, there wasn't a significant amount of conversation like we have now around diversity and inclusion. There wasn't a lot of acceptance or tolerance, rather more so the alternative, which is there was a lot more ignorance and intolerance, and that still exists today, but luckily was able to find myself along the way and found who I am and was able to begin affirming who I am as a transgender woman. And that brought in a whole slew of other challenges and barriers and recognizing the privilege that I have as a white woman. So when I look back on where I've come from, I don't know how I ended up in Ottawa, but I'm so honored and privileged to have ended up here. And let's be very clear just before, you know, we totally confuse listeners. I've ended up in Calgary. Calgary is home. Alberta is home. It really is where where my heart is and I am so fortunate and was having this conversation just this afternoon that when growing up and being transgender, trying to figure out where my place was in the world, I never saw my place as being in Alberta. I never saw myself as ever being able to put down roots or call Alberta home. But that changed when I moved to Calgary very unexpectedly. Is Calgary is home. And I don't foresee that changing. Again, I may be in Ottawa, but my heart very much is still very firmly back in Calgary. And I cannot wait to get off the plane and be coming back down and seeing the skyline coming and approaching because that's where home is. That's, I guess, a little bit of of who I am and, and how I ended up here. I've gone from rural Alberta to the largest city in Western Canada to now the nation's capital. And who knows where the community building adventure goes to next. I would like a lot of this conversation to be centered on our youth. That's something I'm passionate about. It's something my career has been steeped in and my life right now is steeped in as well. And so I'm curious, Anna, you said, I never saw my place as being in Alberta. Along the journey, were there adults, especially I'm thinking of the young Anna Murphy, were there adults along the way that made you either explicitly or, you know, more subtly made you understand that you did belong and you did have a place here. 
So the person who has been there every step of the way has been my grandmother. She has been unwaveringly, immensely supportive. Without her, we would not be having this conversation. Never mind not, you know, having this conversation. I wouldn't be here without her love and support. I don't necessarily think that it has necessarily been easy for her. I think she has had to do adjusting and and learning, but to her credit, she was willing to do that learning and to come on this, this journey and transition alongside with me and be supportive and ensure that I was able to not only survive, but thrive. I owe everything I am and everything I have today to make primarily the support of of my grandmother. And I will never be able to repay or give back the support and the love and the resources that she and, and my grandfather have done. And I will never be able to understand the the challenges that I'm sure came from them having to step into the role of being those caregivers, you know, at a, at a time when, you know, they should have been more or less looking to other things in their life. So the unwavering love and support of, of my grandmother is hands down who deserves all of the credit for getting me to this conversation today. Anna, you recently shared your story at Telespark, Transcending Transgender, in conversation with Anna Murphy. Specifically, you talked about the challenges you faced after coming out, saying, my better angels were on my side. And then you made a pledge to 2SLGBTQ plus youth. You said, we will fight alongside and defend you because your existence, much like mine, is not open for debate now or ever. Can you speak to us a little bit about this, what your experience was like? And you touched on this already as a transgendered youth and your passion to support gender diverse youth in our community. Well, if we look at what we see currently as the climate, I guess, within whether it's within Alberta or within Canada or even the world as is related to the discourse and the ignorance and the intolerance towards trans, two-spirit, non-binary, and gender-diverse individuals. It is primarily and largely impacting youth. If we look to our neighbors to the south and the anti-trans policies that are being passed over a 100 pieces of legislation have gone through in the United States that not only roll back the rights of trans Americans and and trans individuals, they're primarily focused and targeted on trans youth. So kiddos who are just trying to go about their lives 
affirming who they are and are looking to the adults to not stand in their way and not actively promote and embolden and empower hate and ignorance towards these kiddos, I recognize that some will say, well, we're not, we're not the United States. No, you're correct. We're not. But we do not live in some sort of protective bubble. And it is to our detriment to be ignorant to what is unraveling worldwide. So the United States is one of the most prevalent examples of, of anti-transgender lobbying that is, you know, being pushed largely by a very alt-right group of individuals and a very loud alt-right group of individuals. And it's not limited to the United States. We see it happening in the United Kingdom with the LGB alliance. You'll notice there were a few identities and intersections of the community that were left out of that acronym I just used. And that is because this is an organization, this is a group of individuals, this is a hate group based out of the United Kingdom, supported by groups in the United States and even within Canada. And their sole objective is to systemically remove and erase anyone who is not lesbian, gay, or bi. They do not believe that the the rest of the rich, gender diverse, and, and sexually diverse community, they don't believe in that. They believe that lesbian, gay, and, and bisexual are the only real ways that a person can be. And so they're active, they're loud. For whatever reason, the, the British government decided to grant them charity status. Now, why a government would grant a hate group charity status, I have no idea, but that's for advocates in the UK to deal with. So you have the United States, you have Great Britain, you also have what happens in, you know, some Middle Eastern countries, which is, you know, the stoning or the flogging or the, quite frankly, the death that comes to folks, the very real fear that folks are living in for being LGBTQ2SIA+. When we saw the Taliban retake over Afghanistan, we very much heard that, you know, the Taliban had every intention of hunting down 2S LGBTQIA plus individuals and, and, and putting them to death. And so that's outside. Now, if we come to Canada, and we can bring it really close to home in the province of Alberta. Most recently, we see an MLA who is running for the leadership of a provincial party, not only running for, for leadership of a provincial party, but will, quite frankly, for in no uncertain terms, will be the next premier of this province coming out and saying and putting forward very anti-trans rhetoric, dog whistling to these individuals in regards to transgender women participating in sports. So saying that men should not compete in women's sports, which I do apologize to anyone who is listening because that is so remarkably transphobic. It is so remarkably dehumanizing. And to the rebel reporter who reached out and asked me why, if by chance, you know, they happen to be tuning in and listening, well, the reason why is because last I checked, 
I am not a man. I am a woman. And by saying that men should not compete in women's sports, you are completely stripping me and anyone else who happens to be within that trans as an umbrella term community. You are stripping of our identities. You're denying the reality of our existence. You're forcing us to debate our existence, which is a continuous ongoing of trans women are women, trans men are men. And so comments such as that as of Brian Jean or Todd Lowen, very surprisingly, Danielle Smith did not take the bait, but her other two that were on stage with her very much so did and very much so said, yeah, men shouldn't compete with women. That's great. I'm not a man. So instead, now we have to go and we have to debate. I am a woman. So when I made that comment at TELUS Spark, it's because that's what we have to do on a daily basis. That's what I have to do on a daily basis is essentially debate and defend why I should have access to quality affirming healthcare, not just me, but why folks like me should have access to quality affirming healthcare, why I am a woman and trans women are women and trans men are men. And, you know, why we are exhausted from continuously having to have that debate. And so when I say your existence is not open for debate now or ever, it's because it's not. And the reason why it never has been open for debate is quite frankly, if we look to those who are to spirit and their identities, that indigenous identity, which has been around since time immemorial. So anyone who is lobbying that somehow, you know, being trans or gender diverse is somehow some new fad that's just magically popped up onto the scene, again, needs to maybe stop and try and combat their own ignorance. Within Canada, we also, so in addition to the comments by some of our provincial leaders here within Alberta, you also have, thankfully it was not put through, but we had a private member's bill in regards to conscious rights, which we know would have impacted the deliverance of healthcare services to transgender individuals, especially within rural areas. That was put forward by MLA Dan Williams. Thankfully, it was not put through, but had it have gone through, it very much would have have very much changed the makeup. Again, not just only for trans, gender diverse folks, but also for women, women's reproductive rights, etc. There is real reason why we have to stand together. And that's why I said also in that comment, you know, we will stand alongside you and we will fight alongside you because we do. We need everyone to come together because there is a very famous saying, and I won't go into the whole, all of it, but it essentially begins of first they came for... And then it goes through a multitude of, of different identities. And at the end of this very powerful and impactful poem, it goes, and then they came for me and there was no one left to stand up for me. It's very easy to look at all of these and be like, well, that doesn't impact me. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to get involved. Well, right there is one's privilege talking. But, you know, we have to be very cognizant of what is going on in the world around us and recognize that if we don't stand up and combat the misinformation, the vitriol, the ignorance, the hate, the violence, then we quite frankly know what happens when we allow that to take root in our communities. And so we need to ensure that there is no place for that, and especially towards our youth. 
And it primarily is targeting access for youth to quality affirming health care. And it is calling folks like me child groomers, child abusers, that we are somehow the boogie people in the closet. We are predators in some way, shape, and form because we're advocating for kiddos to be able to live their lives authentically, to do so without, you know, being met with hate and ignorance and and intolerance. It very much is personal because I think the other part of the segue into this question was me commenting on my better angels were by my side. And the rest of the context of that was me talking about how I ended up on the high-level bridge. And I'm not talking about taking a nice leisurely stroll from one side over to the legislature. I'm talking about ending up on the side of the high-level bridge that thankfully now, thanks to measures taken, nobody can find themselves on, hopefully. But at this time, it was very easy for folks who were very much stuck in a position of seeing absolutely no light at the end of the tunnel and seeing absolutely no way forward, but to cash in their chips, as they say. So thankfully, yeah, my better angels were by my side because all it would have taken is a very slight loosening of my grip. And again, we would not be having this conversation. And so whoever made the phone call, the Edmonton Police Service officers who ultimately ended up responding and the folks who were on the ground getting ready should they have needed to jump to action and ultimately the EPS officers who were on the bridge who very gently got me back onto the side of safety. It's personal because no one, I don't want anyone to ever find themselves in that situation. I don't want anyone to have the scars to prove that they have managed to somehow survive. And again, I have the scars to prove it. This isn't, you know, just me. There are many folks who are fighting and advocating and speaking out. And quite frankly, there are folks who are doing life saving work each and every day because the work that's being done isn't just life changing it it quite frankly is life saving yeah it, it's important because the folks who are being impacted i can step in and deal with the pardon my french bullshit that folks like brian jean or or maxime bernier or or whoever i can deal with the bullshit that they want to toss my way but don't try and go after the kids or the youth, because, you know, that's when mine and others, that's when, you know, we, we turn into a mountain lion. Thank you for sharing that story with us, Anna. And a few things kind of stuck out. I'd like to go back to Brian, Jean, and I, for those listening, if you don't follow Anna on Twitter, I'm going to post the links to all of her social media. I highly recommend you follow Anna. But I think I I read the tweet that you posted. And this goes back to what you were talking about, what's happening in the States, reproductive rights. But I'd like to say, you know, even as a straight cisgendered woman, like, can men stop telling women like what we need to be doing and not doing. I mean, the comment about 
what's a threat to women's sports and what's not. It's like, why don't you let women decide about women's sports? And why don't you stop talking about women's sports and stop talking about women's reproductive rights? Because it's really, I don't see how it concerns Brian or Joe or Bob or (laughs) anyone. Like, just stop, first of all. Um, And then also, I'm going to go back to the word fight. And there's something about it that I feel like it really is a fight. I feel like it's very personal. And and like you said, I feel very protective. Maybe it's because of my experience in education or as a mom, but it is something that anyone who is an ally needs to be ready to kind of work and fight because you will get pushed back. These are hot, highly contested topics and with surrounded by a lot of hate a lot of hate, so much hate. It actually, it takes my breath away. I don't understand it. I've tried to wrap my mind around it. I can't fathom. I can't get into that mindset. And as a writer, it's my job to get into people's heads and to figure out where they're coming from. And I'm just, I come up at a loss. Having to go back to the mountain lion or mama bear or whatever analogy you'd like to use, As we're working within our homes, so let's kind of zoom in a bit, our homes, our communities, if we're educators in the classroom, if we're mentors, how can we create an environment for our kids, even at a very young age, so that you made this beautiful comment, the youth are trying to figure out who they are and looking to the adults for guidance. Well, that is terrifying because so many of us are trying to figure out who we are, but how can we set up this environment that we can be trusted for guidance and we can kind of set this open and accepting tone regardless of who our kids decide that they are? So the first part of that is educators and the education around it, right? So when we introduce the idea and the concept and we talk about it and it comes forward, whether that is in the lesson plan, the curriculum, in the classroom, however that unfolds, you are are making it a part of these kiddos' realities from the very beginning. And you're talking about it and you're normalizing the conversation and you're that kiddo who could be sitting in class goes, oh, hey, I see myself. It's no different for why we need to ensure that, you know, curriculum and education and these spaces, whether it is, you know, elementary school, middle school, high school, all the way through to post-secondary. It's no different, you know, why we need to ensure that persons of color and Indigenous people are reflected and their histories are reflected in things like curriculum and a part of the learning that our youth are going through. And so educators have a a very direct and immediate way that they can go about addressing that. So whether that is, again, you know, talking about why pride, things like pride are important, talking about why things like Trans Day of Remembrance and visibility are important, talking about, you know, people like Marsha P. Johnson, who is a trailblazer and in fact is one of the very early leaders who helped launch the, what we now know as the pride movement. She was the one who was right up at the front of Stonewall. And so talking about these people who were largely the reason why folks like me can, you know, be who, who we are, you know, though that hard won success has a lot of folks who have 
gave and sacrificed so much to get to where we are today. It starts with education. In addition to that, you know, doing things like having all gender washrooms in our spaces. So in schools and all gender washrooms does not mean sending the kiddos to the nurse's washroom. It means you make washrooms that are genderless. I have now both the place that I work has genderless washrooms and I have seen many of them in my travels in the last few days. Nobody seems to have issue with them except for a very select few individuals. I think we can put that one to rest that all gender washrooms are very much to our benefit and not to our detriment like some would uh, like to argue. That's what we can do from an educator's standpoint is quite frankly having the conversations, introducing you know, things like literature into your classroom. So if you have, there are books appropriate for all ages that folks can access, whether it is ones such as The Night Before Pride, which I literally just saw available earlier today at the National Gallery and also saw it on uh, a friend's Instagram story. And essentially it talks about very much the themes that we were just touching on, but it's very age appropriate for some of those younger kiddos. All the way up to novels for, you know, those young adults, those teens. So there's things out there that you can bring in to the classroom, bring into the environment to show people that, hey, you're represented here. You belong. You matter. Again, no different for those who are Indigenous or persons of color. We need to be doing the exact same things. Can I put a plug in to say, yes, it's important to recognize Pride Days or Transgender Day of Awareness, but as far as resources, picture books, novels, examples, that's every day. That is not once a year. And there are beautiful picture books that I would read picture books to grade eight students. They're beautiful picture books that really do a wonderful job of exploring gender complexity and all aspects of the spectrum. And there are wonderful young adult books. I will say I have found a gap in early years. So grade one, two, three chapter books. So if you're listening and you're a writer and you're gender diverse, there's a invitation to you. But yes, I love that. Sorry, I had to interrupt. But that should be every day, not once a year. Yes, this isn't a holiday. They're not decorations. They (laughs) They don't come out for June and then get put away. Also, if that were the case, they would never get put out because school is usually coming to a a wrap-up, at least most are, in the month of June. This is 365 days a year. This isn't just a a one-day, a one-month of doing the work. You have to do the work every day. That's how you be an active ally. That's how you actively engage in meaningful, tangible change that's going to make a difference in these kiddos' lives. And it it should be very much understood that this isn't just for kiddos who may or may not be gender or sexually diverse. This very much helps those who are not, who will in future become those allies. It sets them up for success going forward because they will have grown up understanding equity, diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and they will be all the better adults when they get out into that world and when they become those future leaders of tomorrow in whatever capacity that looks like. (laughs) 
I keep going back to trying to figure out who they are. And so I think that's my biggest thing when you're normalizing, right? And you're going back to your examples and whether it's with gender, whether it's with other aspects of diversity, all kids need to understand, right? That there's spectrums, right? Of figuring out who you, who we are. And this is a, I mean, my gosh, if you've listened to this podcast, you're probably sick of this, but you know, ultimately what we're doing, Anna, is we're saying there's not one box that you have to sit inside of, whether it's career or identity or your role in the world. And I think it's so important that yes, you can have two, although how in the world would you know, but you can have two straight kids or cisgendered kids or whatever. It doesn't matter. That to me is completely irrelevant. I mean, you should be teaching I would hope that you're modeling that there are many ways to exist in the world, full stop. Many ways, and I like the line because we're not creating a hierarchy here. This is how you should be. And then this is how mm, that's a gray area or we don't talk about that or we're not going to discuss that. But there is a spectrum, a line, non-hierarchical line, and you can exist many, many ways. And so I, I just, I feel like that's so important Yes, because we've heard that at schools, right? Like, well, there's not from, we've gotten pushback. Well, they're not Indigenous students in the school. So why do we need to be learning about Indigenous individuals and leaders and culture? And it's like, it actually blows my mind. My mind short circuits and then steam starts coming out. And I can't articulate an answer, but it's we're creating kids who aren't assholes, as you articulately said, but that understand that there are many ways of being. There's not a way of being and the rest are on the fringes. So Anna, looking ahead to the 2S LGBTQ plus youth in our community, what needs to be done? And for the allies who are listening and who want to help, what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see us doing? You know, Canadians have for generations taken strides towards the realization of equity for all gender and sexually diverse folks who call our communities home. However, we know that despite all that progress, which must be celebrated, there remains work to be done and a need for all to commit towards tangible actions, which bring meaningful change to fruition. We know as I mentioned earlier in our conversation, that which comes to pass when we allow hate and intolerance to take root within our communities. And it is only together that we can truly foster and build communities which are safe and affirming for all folks where they see themselves not only being reflected, but have no doubt in that their future can be an achievable reality as ignorance and intolerance threaten to erode that hard-won progress. We need not only to be champions and allies, but defenders and leaders in the advancement of 2SLGBTQIA plus rights and protections and equity. And we need to see that inclusion, diversity, equity, accessibility is an idea that unites us all. And so what needs to be done, what comes next is we need things like better access to quality affirming healthcare. In the recently announced action plan, the stats don't lie. 12% of respondents in the 2019 TransPulse survey 
said that they avoided the emergency room in the previous year. So that would have been 2018. 12% of respondents across Canada who were trans have avoided the emergency room. And I very much know why, because I've been there. 45% reported having unmet healthcare needs within that same period. Obviously, this does not dive into a micro level of where those folks come from. But I bet if it did, we would see that a lot of these folks are coming from rural parts of the country. So when we talk about the need to increase access to quality affirming healthcare, these are some of the reasons why. Further reasons why is because transgender and gender diverse people in Canada are more than five times more likely to attempt suicide and to have mental health issues. Further, LGBTQ2SIA plus people are also more than two and a half times more likely to have seriously contemplated suicide in their lifetimes and to have been diagnosed with a mood or anxiety disorder compared to their cisgender counterparts. Again, unmet health care needs are significant issues compounded by those factors, whether it's geographical location, other intersections of, of marginalization. And so this is one of the biggest things. This has been primarily a lot of the conversation that I have been having over these last few days here in Ottawa is while we have this action plan, which has been announced with $100 million in budget being attached to it, which is incredible, we do also need to ensure that we are looking at addressing some of the challenges that are very much in here, which hopefully the action plan does, but we can also still, you know, introduce things like policy and legislation. And so what comes next from a government level is we need policy, we need legislation, we need budget. And when I say we, I don't necessarily mean me, I mean those community-serving organizations, those doctors, those folks who are doing the life-saving work day in, day out. In the middle of a pandemic, 2021, the Yukon passed the most comprehensive healthcare policy in all of Canada, arguably one of the most comprehensive healthcare policies in the entire world, at least, you know, anywhere within North America or, you know, G7 or, or Commonwealth for sure. And it follows WPATH, which is the World Professional Association of Transgender Healthcare Providers. And it follows the standards of care and it addresses many of the things that trans folks have been calling to be addressed in what is an antiquated system of gatekeeping, otherwise known as the current state of trans healthcare all around the world. It's not unique to any one particular place. It's all around the world. Some places, like our friends to the south, have completely rolled it back even further, but we've touched on that. So we need politicians, we need everybody to be at the table for this conversation. I've pitched to a number of different folks, we almost need a summit. We're very good about having economic summits, healthcare summits, education summits. You know what? We need a, we need a trans healthcare summit where we get everybody in the room, doctors, community organizations, members of parliament, members of the legislature or members of the provincial parliament, if you are in Ontario or Quebec, members of council, mayors, 
all of the folks in the room talking about the issues. Here's the issues. And then everyone who's in there can be like, yep, okay, this is what I can take. You know, this is what I can help with. This is what I can do. This is what I can do. And almost like cards, dealing out cards. We're going to deal out everything, all of the issues to the folks who can actually do something and then essentially say, go divide and conquer. So again, that's healthcare. That's trans healthcare. We need people to be bold in their allyship and to, yeah, realize it may be uncomfortable. I told a member of parliament who's a former Olympian that we should essentially tell sports organizations who want to trample all over the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which protects gender identity, that we should kick these sports organizations out of our country until such time as they decide to, you know, come in line, i.e. those who want to systemically prevent trans women or trans men or non-binary or gender diverse folks from competing. It was a little uncomfortable. But that's the reality. You have to be bold. You have to take that stance because I guarantee these organizations, when somebody threatens to pull their funding or pull their involvement, people's ears start to perk up a little bit more. They start to pay attention. It shouldn't take that to get them to, but for some, you have to play hardball. Quite frankly, we need folks to just be open to having conversations that for me, that's why I'm happy to have the conversation. I'm always happy to have the conversation because that's the path I've chosen for myself. If if I'm at capacity, then we'll reschedule. But I have the conversation so that other folks, they don't have to, they can just go out. And I also recognize that, you know, a lot of the time I speak from my own experience, but I also recognize the similarities and the commonalities in my experience to others. But we are not a monolith of a community. There is not a singular trans experience. Again, there's a lot of commonalities and a lot of similarities, but it's no different than not every trans person is going to undergo surgery. Not every trans person or gender diverse or non-binary person will want to do hormone replacement therapy or top surgery or whatever it is. It does not make them any less or any more invalid in who they are as an individual. And so that's what we need to understand is, yes, I speak as, you know, Anna and my experience and, and touch on, you know, some of the stats and the info and the research that is out there, that is actually out there. I'm I'm not going to entertain the misinformation that some folks like to bring forward that quite frankly has been, you know, denounced and, and argued why it is incorrect, not interested in those conversations. So yeah, what comes next is we need to be vigilant. We need to be active in our allyship. We need to put our allyship into action. It's not enough to raise a flag. It's not enough to paint a crosswalk. Folks need tangible, meaningful change. And a lot of that comes down to those who have influence and privilege and power to use it to the benefit of those who do not. Let's recognize that in Canada, it is only as recently as 2017 that the the Human Rights Act And the criminal code within this country was amended to include gender identity. That's 2017. That's five years, give or take. My math's a little bit fuzzy. That's only five years. So when people, when I personally see what's happening in other places of things being rolled back and and, and stripped away, for me, 
that puts me back at nothing. That puts me back as not even being recognized in this country as human, as equal under the law, as being even included in the Human Rights Act of this country or province, wherever it is. So I think that we have to be vigilant and active. And I keep thinking back to the parent working the full-time job with the kids or the neighbor down the street and everything you're talking about, this wonderful trans healthcare summit that should definitely happen or the policy or the trans day of remembrance, or even going back to what you're speaking about, the curriculum is if there's one thing I can think of, it's our active need to be participating in the democratic process, voting at the minimum. But it's not a coincidence that for the next three months, I'm going to be talking pretty much about kids in education with a provincial election coming up is that I think that we need to remember how much is riding on this and, and how important it is for us to shake off the burnout. Because I know with what has been happening, so many of us feel like we're just every day is something new, right? And, and even I've had to turn off social media, turn off the news just so I can function, but slowly, you know, start to build that momentum up, especially with Alberta, a place that we do love. And I would love for Calgary to be my home forever and ever in Alberta as well. And we do have quite a bit of work to do, but it can be something I think that we can do on a local level and a smaller level, right? Mm -hmm. So, okay. Love it. Final question. As part of Stories Within Us, I asked each guest to submit a picture, a snapshot of them that was a moment in time that sparked connection, healing, disruption, challenge, or change, or all of the above. Can you talk to us, Anna, about the picture that you have shared with us today? The picture that I've shared is the flag being raised on Transgender Day of Remembrance by the City of Calgary, supported by Mayor Gondek and her team. And in addition to the flag being raised, Mayor Gondek issuing an official proclamation which recognized Transgender Day of Visibility in the City of Calgary. So putting an official seal and a official recognition to a day that is meant to embolden, empower, recognize, educate for trans, two-spirit, gender diverse, and and non-binary folks. And in addition to the support of Mayor Gondek, it was incredible to see leader of now His Majesty's loyal opposition, Rachel Notley, former premier of the province of Alberta, to see her attend and, and not only attend, but to speak and talk about the commitment going forward that her and and her party are very actively making to advance equity for 2SLGBTQIA plus Albertans. But in addition, seeing former minister Leela Ahir coming as well and, and also speaking and, and being present and, and listening and being very humble in her 
speaking to to folks. It was important because human rights are not partisan issues. The struggles that folks are facing are not unique for one particular party or level of government or singular community organization to solve. They require all of us to come together. And this picture on that day, we saw, in my mind, the community come together for a moment and stand together and take a moment to commit to moving forward with meaningful action that drives tangible change in our communities. It's an important photo because to me, that's who we are as Calgary. That's who we are as Alberta. We don't often necessarily see that displayed in the mainstream media, but it exists here. That's who we are. That's who the bulk of us are. To me, it it symbolizes why Calgary and Calgarians are, yeah, where my heart is. It's an important picture. And every time I look at it, you know, the, the contrast of the old with Old City Hall, the symbol of democracy in our city that has been renovated and renewed and, and new life brought to it with, you know, Mayor Gondek being the first mayor to be in that space and this council being the new, the first ones to be in there since the building had began renovation. To see the contrast of the flag being raised against that backdrop, you know, trans folks who, again, have been here since time immemorial, but are, you know, still working towards hard hard-won progress that still remains to be done, the collaboration, the the willingness and the ability for folks to to come together regardless of their political stripes or or even their geographical locations. Again, you know, we seeing folks from Edmonton come to Calgary to support Calgary or or vice versa. It really was us coming together as Albertans, as Calgarians. And it's my hope that we continue to do so. So I look at this picture with hope and optimism and a strong belief that this is who we are and and this is who we will continue to be. Yeah, that's a beautiful example of, I love the connection in there, the coming together, the optimism. That's awesome. It absolutely was. And from the very beginning, that's the motivation was bringing people together, was bringing Yeah, to bring the community together so that, again, if we bring it back to the youth, those youth could see, hey, look, look at who's here for you. This is who's showing up for you and who commits to continue showing up for you. We got you. We've got your back. We're going to stand with you. We're going to walk alongside you. And if anyone tries to hurt you in any way, whatever that looks like, then yeah, you're going to have a whole community full of mama bears, papa bears, just protective bears in general that are going to protect you so that you can just go and and be you. Well, here's to more of that in the future, Anna. And with people like you sharing your story and taking the time in your incredibly busy 
coast to coast kind of travels and your incredibly busy travels, you're doing it. So I, I thank you as a parent, as a Calgarian, as someone who's just wanting a world full of empathetic and kind people. I, I really appreciate the work you're doing. And I'll say on a personal level, like you make Calgary feel a little more like home to me. Many of us have gone through, you know, times of doubt or scary times. And do I belong here? And when I look out and see you on my Twitter feed, Anna, I think, okay, this is a place I, I really would like to invest in. So thank you for all you're doing. And thank you for taking the time to speaking with me today. Well, it really has been a pleasure, Lisa. And, you know, I'm very thankful to be so bold as to, you know, call you a friend and to have you in my corner and to have folks like you who help make Calgary feel very much that way to folks like me. So thank you for having me on and for all that you do to make Calgary and Alberta feel a little bit more like home also. So thank you for the conversation and hopefully you know we've we've built some community here today with others who have been listening as always i thank you for being a part of stories within us i invite you to share this work text an episode to a friend rate it leave a review share it with others on your social media site help amplify the stories shared Remember to tag Stories Within Us when you post. It's at Stories Within Us on Twitter and at Stories Within Us Podcast on Instagram. The design for Stories Within Us was created by Dr. Milena Rejikowska and Chris Shattuck of Two Hot Soups Consulting. Post-production and sound editing is done by East Coast Studios. Thank you once again for listening. And here's to creating change within us and change around us, one story at a time.